Abolition. Abolition. I testified, my mama cried, black people died when the other man lied. See the TV, listen to me, double trouble. I overhaul and I'm coming from the lower level. I'm taking tabs, so enough, stuck the grab like shirts and it hurts. With a neck to wreck, took a pole cause our soul took a toll from the education of a TV station. But look around, here go the sound of the record ball, boom and pound when I shut them down. Hey, uh, this is Comrade Pitt. I'm Peter Kamal Makuria, calling in from Redonian State Prison. Um, so this piece right here, this commentary is regarding um, uh, the IWW Owl um, program. And uh, it's titled The Significance of Taking Direct Action. And I begin with um quote theory without practice is useless um by Fred Hampton. Um, so direct action is one of the main industrial workers of the world, an incarcerated workers organizing committee strategy in effectively challenging and addressing issues which affect workers on the outside, and especially incarcerated workers. The logic of direct action is relatively simple. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, what I use in a battle for the mind. Hit it hard like it's supposed, pulling up blows to the nose like Uncle L said, I'm ripping up shows. If our needs are unmet, which they are, and we collectively challenge them, then there's not much that can stop us because ultimately the power comes from us, the people. Taking direct action and addressing our needs is essential in any revolutionary organization whose historic mission is to do away with capitalism and abolish its oppressive structures. Direct actions such as general strikes, boycotts, and sabotages were often employed when IWW was formed in 1905, and these acts proved auspicious in expediting change for workers. Since its founding, IWW has always been an organization for all workers across racial lines around the globe. This term working class means those who are not the employing and or owning class, which conspicuously include prisoner workers, the homeless, the unemployed, and underemployed. The goal of, of, the, goal of the organization is to abolish waste slavery and prison slavery. As a branch of the IWW, our work was formed to specifically advocate for the incarcerated workers in prisons, jails, migrant detention facilities, and juvenile detention, including those on house arrest, probation, parole, and anyone impacted by the intrusion of the prison industrial complex. It serves as a liaison for prisoners to organize, unionize, and build solid bridges between us on the inside and our fellow workers on the outside. So we may be more effective in challenging the conditions and treatment um, because we're working in Europe. Our work recognizes that incarcerated workers are at the forefront of the movement for liberation, and our work exists to empower, aid, and fight with us. Um, outside, our work members are well trained and organized in conducting collective direct actions challenging the condition of confinement in incarcerated workers face. While we recognize the oppressive and inhumane conditions prisoners are subjected to, it tends to be strategically and deliberately kept out of public awareness 
the solidarity built, built between inside and outside workers serves critical at exposing the savagery of imprisonment. I have been a member of IWW since 2015. Send me out to join the Revolutionary Committee of Black Panther Party, then known as New African Black Panther Party. And when DCI Work was formed, given my existing membership with IWW, I began coordinating with DCI Work. Therefore, as a fellow IWW Work member, but foremost Panther, whose duty it is to speak truth to power in service of our struggle to overthrow this oppressive capitalist imperialist system and abolish its every structure, I have been able to coordinate with DCI Work on numerous instances in which their involvement and direct action and advocating for not merely myself, but I'm a ride of other prisoners, was the catalyst needed to push back against the injustices um, inside these human warehouses. Furthermore, and even more imperative, DCI work has been critical in amplifying our struggle. Over the years, as DCI work has grown in membership, thus expanding its ability to do more, their strategy and tactical support of prisoners extended to what's called a jail support program which the members routinely meet outside of a local jail, wait for those being released, and offer them bags containing essential items such as toothbrush, toothpaste, water bottles, snacks, food, fruits, etc. They also issue shoelaces which are confiscated from people as they, as they enter these jails. And in the winter, they also hand out blankets and offer transportation to anyone being released who may need it. Oftentimes, when people are released from jails and or prisons, they have nothing more than the clothes on their backs. Therefore, to be embraced with such generosity and given, and given things one needs, it relieves a lot of the distress associated with being in prison. Um, during jail support, I have been fortunate. I have been fortunate to be able to call and converse with each individual comrade, and we always conclude by simultaneously yelling out, "All power, all power to the people." It not only energizes everyone out there, but to some degree, I'm always hopeful that those incarcerated in the jail could hear us and know that they are loved, cared about, and we extend our solidarity with them because their struggle is our struggle. And like Mumia Abu-Jamal says, no one is free until everyone is free. Additionally, this the Walk has been able to effectively reach incarcerated workers through our newsletters and letter writing meetings. As we continuously expand our efforts through taking direct actions, we hope to inspire and grow a global movement to abolish capitalism and its every oppressive structure. All power to the people. This is Comrade Pitt with the Owl Stand Committee and the Minister of Labor for Revolutionary Tocomino Black Panther Party. I am also with the DC Baltimore Owl and I can be reached at Peter Kamal Mukuria, 119-7165, Red Onion State Prison, P.O. Box 1900, Pound, Virginia. Instagram at PitPanther underscore R, P-I-T-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R underscore A-R-T.
You just heard Peter Pitt McCoria from Red Onion Prison on the significance of taking direct action accompanied by Shut Him Down by Public Enemy. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parvis. Peace, Max. Uh, peace, Brother Yusuf. Uh, I am here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, uh, sitting at the desk broadcasting live to the world. And uh, good job on that opening mix, uh, brother. You understand, we are hip-hop, <laughs> you know? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. For those who don't know, uh, Brother Yusuf has been the executive producer for this particular broadcast and did all of the production work you'll be hearing throughout the show. Well, thank you for that. So last week we gave examples of the American house literally being ablaze voter suppression, mass incarceration, civil disenfranchisement, exploitation, extortion, brutality, poverty, and institutional systemic bias are our daily bread. This week we'll acknowledge many historical events whose anniversaries occurred either within the past week or will come up this week, such as the Attica Uprising that occurred from September 9th through September 12th, uh, I'm sorry, September 13th, 1971, which came on the heels of the August 21st, 1971 murder of George Jackson. Also, the murder of six young black children in Birmingham, Alabama, four at the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, and two others later that day that occurred on September 15th, 20, I'm sorry, 1963. And, of course, yesterday marked the anniversary of 9-11. We'll also be joined by Chinwezu Abu, the moderator for the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition, to update us on the events and the results of the Shut Em Down 2021 movement, and would also be giving reminders about the upcoming vote for the recall on Governor Newsom in California and the push to reelect Governor Newsom and to keep Larry Elder out of office. So before we start, Max, tell us about your week, brother. Well, I did have some interesting things going on this week, but I, did, I also want to comment on Open Track as well. Shout out to IWOC. We've been working with them for years, uh, helping to organize the strikes and uh, the prison slave labor work strikes across the country, as well as the marches and things like that. They've always been an integral part of what we've been doing, organizing those on the inside. I, I dig how we uh, called it human warehousing, because that's, that's what it is, human warehouses, mm-hmm. uh, basically these days. And although we're not on that same goal, I'm not out here trying to abolish capitalism. For me, uh, slavery is it <laughs> right there. That's that's the bullseye right. for me. Not not anything beyond or above that. That is the top of my freaking list. End slavery. <laughs> you know, uh, it comes right. with genocide. So for me, there is nothing more important that I prioritize or organize around. Um, but yeah, shout out to IWALK. They be doing a damn thing. So what happened this week, man, there's a few things that stood out. One, ACA3 in California, the Abolition Amendment, 
uh, went through its, I think it's its final hearing uh, before Congress, out, and uh, they've yet to actually vote on it, which is part of the gag rule that I think we've been dealing with here. Nonetheless, uh, mm-hmm. they if they pass this, they've only got to go through the Senate, and then California is set. Um, also, we brought in New Mexico into the Abolish Slavery National Network. They're working on legislation to get New Mexico of, to be a free state, too. So that's big news for us. Um, and there was something Absolutely. that was said yesterday that I want to put on the table. Maybe you've got some comments for it. Brother Febo uh, was in the meeting with state operations for the ASNN with myself and all the others that were there. And he gave us a, a dire warning, kind of predicting the future of, you know, what our enemy looks like. And basically saying, you know, it's not really about red and blue anymore now. It's how much influence does the Department of Justice have in that state? How much influence Mm -hmm. does the Department of Corrections have in that state? Because they're the ones that are pulling the strings on your senators and congressmen. They've already approached New Jersey saying, change this language because we don't like it. (laughs) You know, the Department (laughs) of Justice. We've already seen them uh, come into the Louisiana hearings where they proclaim, you know, we've talked with the Department of Justice. And just recently, we had Senator Schumer uh, emailing out people about our support in regards to the abolition amendment. So everybody knows now, man, which is mind-blowing in itself that everybody knows, you know? Right. I got the email from Senator Schumer myself. Exactly, right? So his warning now is that we need to – we're up against the Department of Justice, and the Department of Corrections, the two money machines that are involved in this, and how much influence they have on their state. Yeah, it's it's ironic that you – I'm sorry. It's ironic that you mentioned we're up against the Department of Justice again. We know uh, the big role the Department of Justice played in the 60s and 70s during what they generated the – or they uh, label as the black power – uh, generation, you know, the Department of Justice played a key role in their COINTELPRO, so they were right at the forefront. And here we are with with the abolished slavery movement, and the Department of Justice is right in right on top of it once again. Yeah, history is certainly repeating itself, and we are doomed to report it because <laughs> we can see it repeating. Um, you know, uh, just a heads up to our guests coming in to give us an update on what happened with the shutdown 2021. Efforts, uh, if you're listening, the calling number is 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. I don't see uh, you on the line there, so just, if you hear me, that's the number, and it's also in your messages. Uh, so we'll probably be bringing you in just a few minutes. Yusuf? Yeah, I can't wait to hear from him because uh, the Shut Him shut shut Down 2021 movement you know, is a, is a continuation of the shut them down movements that have been happening, you know, I want to say really for the past decade, you know, with many universities uh, divesting from private prisons, you had many, uh, corporate, many corporations, many uh, funding managers when it comes to like city pension funds, pulling, pulling their funds out as a result of, many different boycott campaigns that were going against these corporations. So I'd really uh, be glad to hear from him to give us an update, uh, for everyone to get an update on the 
results of this because many people, you know, they just they share something, but they don't really uh, follow up to see what's really going on. So we'll have someone straight from the front lines besides ourselves telling us the effects of the boycotting and the full shut them, shut them down 2021 movement. Every time I go to say shut them down, I, I get ready to say shut them, shut them, shut them down because I still have the song in my head. Right, right. Uh, Tribal told me my voice was going in and out. Thanks, Tribal. I, I just put my earphones on my head. Uh, I have a list of things that uh, they did in organizing here as well as some of the demands that they asked for. And uh, while we wait for Chin Zwezu to uh, call in, I'll go ahead and read a little bit of that. Uh, okay. Shutting down demonstration methods. People in prisons, jails, or ICE can select one or multiple ways to participate in the shutting down demonstrations. One was work strikes. Uh, prisoners will not report to assigned jobs. Each place of, or, of detention will determine how long a strike will last. Some of these strikes may translate into a local list of demands designed to improve conditions and reduce harm within the prison. They also said sit-ins is another one that you could do in the prisons, boycotts. All spending should be halted throughout demonstration dates. Um, they had hunger strikes, which I knew a number as well as you did, of inmates mm-hmm. or prisoners who were involved in that. And they say even number five was sabotaging prison work equipment to ensure it will not function. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one was they, they shut them down abolition demands uh, based on the 2018 national prisoners strike 10 demands and overall scope of the 10 demands. We are demanding one, the end of prison slavery, the 13th Amendment punishment clause to the U.S. Constitution be repealed. Right. <laughs> so right. they even mentioned Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon and William Lacey Clay of Missouri introducing that joint resolution uh, recently. Uh, number two was the closure of a majority. You know, I got. I just got to back up for a second because I have to think about that. This is what these brothers and sisters asked us for in 2018, and here we are delivering it in 2020 and 21. We have it on the table, right. y'all. We did what we said we was going to do, all right? All right, so the next one, the closure of a majority of jails and prisons in every state. This includes federal ICE prisons and ICE. Uh, outside organizers and or people currently inside should select and educate the public as to why certain confinement hell holes must. There's a lot of Eighth Amendment violations happening out there, human rights violations. Every day in the United States, we are so far in violation of international human rights that it is just beyond belief. Uh, number four, freeing all political prisoners in U.S. prisons. There's a lot of those still in the prisons. Um so basically, that was Absolutely. the demands that they asked for, as well as the 10 from the original 2018. Again, I still don't see Chen Weizu uh, uh, calling in. So uh, if you're listening, one more time, that number is 515-605-9814. And the number is also in your personal messages on Facebook. I know the brother wants to be here because he called at 4 o'clock saying, is it time? <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, man, that's right. Southern Eastern Standard. <laughs> so he was working on uh, some stuff going on with his house at that time, but he called in, so I know he wants to be here. In the meantime, I guess what we can do is continue uh, the Yusef XXFX night, right? Yusef X night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? And see what else we got here. There's another anniversary that just came up that we want to show respect and love and remembrance too. 
and that is, of course, the Attica Prison Massacre. Uh, so we're just, what is it, two days beyond the anniversary of that? Well, it was from September 9th until the 13th, the, the actual massacre so occurred on the 13th, yeah. which would be tomorrow. Right. And we actually have a clip of the voices of the people who, well, in fact, many of the voices we're going to hear are ones who were who didn't even survive, like L.D. Barkley, who was 21 years old at the time. And he was sort of like the lead organizer behind it. But we, it's, it's, in, it's from a documentary entitled Voices of the People, the Attica Prison Massacre. And we can just jump right into hearing the voices of the people and hear why they set out to do what they do and what, would they, what they were trying to accomplish. And towards the end, you'll hear from a congressman, and uh, some reporters even uh, attesting to what it was all about. And then we have a great track behind it to hear how the devil works in the situation. So without further ado, Max, if we want to jump into it, let's do Voices of the People, the Attica Prison Massacre. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this track. Abolition after day after day. Uh, they'll say, um, you're here now, you're in Attica. We are the bosses. You do what we tell you. When we tell you to walk, you walk. When we tell you to eat, you eat. When we tell you to sleep, you sleep. When we tell you not to talk, we don't talk. And they don't look at us like human beings. Meanwhile, they are the ones that are the animals. And it's Functioning you in a capacity as more or less like an, a vegetable because you're not able to think anymore because you're told what to do and when to do and how often to do it, right? See, I don't think that any sane person can tolerate it. I don't care who you are. You're looking for humane treatment. That's all. Humane treatment. We are given a bath once a week, very briefly, once a week. You see, these things, you're, you're taking away the bare necessities. Things that a man needs to feel like he's a human being. These are taken away. You don't have them. I don't know. I'm, I try not to be bitter, you see. Dealing with these people, trying to be bitter. But, I don't know, everything they do, everything they do is designed to destroy you. Dehumanize you, make you a complete nothing. So when a God come in here, and he tell me to do something. Now, I'll do it. But now, at the same time, if I feel that he's wrong and I'm right, there's nothing that they can do to me. And this includes patting that last shovel of dirt in my face. They did everything but that. You understand? That's going to change my mind. And this is what I think the attitude of most of them is in it. For now, some time, we've all been concerned about this trouble that was brewing in the prison. It's, you could feel it in the air. Anybody that works in a prison or institution could feel things like that in the air. You know something is brewing. We're all apprehensive. But you can't tell when it's going to happen. Every night we expected it. I don't think nobody would intentionally try to provoke an incident because they know they realize that they don't have a chance. But at the same time, like you just can't keep presenting that garbage and accept somebody to take it. Because we had a beautiful society in the yard. You know, because 
basically we realized, you know, that all we had was, was each other, you know, so we clung to each other, spite of all our different ideologies, and there were a thousand ideologies out there, you know, but they worked it out, for the common good. Like it was just boss, all of us together, you understand, all of us eating together, you know, like having to suffer together. It was four days without bathing, you had to smell each other, four days of going hungry, sharing what you had amongst each other. It was really groovy, man, you know? Groovy in the sense that you know what it is to have unity. You did. It was really a united thing. It was a thing where, you know, where we're going to do this, you know? It was, it was nice. We, we might have a disagreement on it. But as to the thing as a whole, we're all together, though. There was no really racial tension and everybody was looking out for each other, sharing food and sharing cigarettes and putting up uh, things to sleep in and mattresses, you know, the whole organization. And it was just fantastic the way everybody worked together, you know, it was really beautiful. And I want you brothers to get together because we together here. And we, these people think we shucking and jiving, but we is for real. Well, I, I thought things were bad down home, but uh, I've never seen anything like this. The people in here are treated like dogs, not only the black, the Puerto Rican, and the white. And we're going to get what we demand, or we're going to die trying. Yes, sir. Thank you. Support us all the way. We're doing this for everybody. We no longer wish to be treated as statistics. We want to be treated as human beings. We are men. We are not beasts and we do not intend to be driven or beaten as such. The entire prison populace has set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. My name is Arthur E., New York State Assemblyman. I went to Attica when hearing that the inmates there had captured a portion of the prison. It was very interesting to see how the men in that yard had set up a city within the confines of Attica State Prison. They had set up a very elaborate uh, PA system so that all of the conversation between them and us was heard by all of the inmates in the yard. And no decisions, no decisions were made unless all of the inmates agreed. We want to apply the New York State minimum wage law to all state institutions. We want to stop to slave labor here. We want to allow all New York State prisoners to be politically active without intimidation or reprisals. We want true religious Sanctity. We want to do our own thing in this place. Number four, in all censorship of newspapers, magazines, letters, and other publications coming from the publisher. Five, allow all inmates at their own expense to communicate with anyone they please. They were asking for better educational program, better training program, drug treatment program, library. They were asking for better food, better medical care. They were asking for more than 25 cents a day in salary. They have a list of uh, what they call practical demands, which are 15 demands. 
just about every one of them have to do with the improvement of prison conditions. This is not a riot of prisoners who are seeking to escape. It is a riot of prisoners who are eminently practical and who are spelling out conditions which they feel should be improved. And many of those conditions are requirements which are now in the existing law. The incident did not happen because, uh, you know, the inmates are trying to stage dramatics. They, you know, the incidents arose uh, because of some, you know, legitimate, uh, uh, shall we say, grievance that they had. And uh, I think that uh, uh, how much headway, uh, the, you know, that comes of that will be uh, just how, uh, you know, honest and frank, you know, the authorities can face up to the situation they have. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. You just heard a segment of Voices of the People, the Attica Prison Massacre. Max? Yeah, that was uh, pretty powerful. Some things that were standing out for me indeed was, uh, first of all, they're talking about slave labor then, just like we're talking about mm-hmm. it now. But they were talking about things like, try, how do you tolerate complete and utter dominance 24 hours a day? seven days a week and that nobody could do that and it's true nobody can and that is why other nations that have adopted a more humane uh prison system are having much more success with recidivism rates uh and mental health as well uh because you know torturing people don't make them better people slavery doesn't make you a better person you know uh also right. He was saying that it was a riot against conditions, not you know every, anything else. But you know, there's some there's some one plus one equals two here. We're talking about slave wages that they're paying, and then we're talking about inhumane, unjust conditions. The conditions are conditions of slavery. That's why you had this slave labor because guess what? Slaves get <laughs> slave wages. Um, right. So yeah, there's that one plus one thing there where the cause or the root issue behind it all is seen as secondary to the symptoms, perceived root or causes. You know, uh, Marvin Mayfield wrote a great article the other day in the Daily News. It's entitled A Half Century After Attica, Prisoners' Demands Have Not Been Met. And I just want to read like a little segment of what he wrote in the article. Before you read the article, let me just mention that our guest is here. We're going to bring you in in just a minute after we make some comments on this uh, audio that we just heard, and then we'll go into our segment with you. So hold on for a minute, please. All right. Sure. So in the article he mentions, in 1970, New York State caged 12,059 people each day in state prison at a prison incarceration rate of 66 per 100,000 residents. By 1984, less than a decade and a half later, the number of people in New York State prisons had tripled. Although down from its peak in 99, New York's prison population remained staggeringly high, with more than 30,000 people behind bars in state prison alone, and an incarceration rate more than double that of the mid-70s. This escalation of mass incarceration was no no accident. A month before the leaders of the Attica uprising voiced their demands, Richard Nixon declared a war on drugs. That was July 1st, 1971. 
Nixon's own chief domestic advisor, John Ehrlichman, would later famously explain that this approach targeted black communities and the anti-war left. By criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities, he confessed. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Shamefully, New York led the country in enacting Nixon's vision of targeting black and brown communities and swelling prison populations. Two years after Attica, New York passed the Rockefeller drug laws, nicknamed for the governor who pushed them through. These unprecedentedly harsh laws were a relentless uh, cascade funneling black, brown, and poor New Yorkers into cages. Lengthy mandatory minimums stripped judges of their discretion when determining sentencing and served as prosecutorial leverage and coercing plea deals. Two-strike laws further lengthened the sentence of an individual with the prior conviction, and three-strike laws condemned people to life in prison. And again, that's from New York Daily News, dated September 8, 2021, by Marvin Mayfield. A half century after Attica, prisoners' demands have not been met. Max? Um, just real quick, both Attica as well as the policies being used against black America at that period were the results of Martin and Malcolm and Kennedy and the civil rights efforts and black liberation movements. This was for them revenge. Um, It's how they do things. Whenever we rise up, uh, they get so outraged that we would dare demand freedom and justice and equality that they literally start killing us. So, yeah. (laughs) You know, and and we're in this boat again. We're in, the agitation is there again. And look where it's going right now with the CRT uh, being banned when it's not even being taught, where you can't talk about slavery in schools, you can't have any opinions, and white racist supremacist doctrines and ideologies must be treated with the same respect as any other legitimate opinion or uh, standing. We must treat it as it's just we think different things, and we, we have differences of opinions. But when your opinion is that you want me dead or in prison, that's not a goddamn opinion. That's right. All right. So I'm sorry. I'm going on a rant. Let's go ahead and bring up. No, nah, man, listen. Go ahead. Jump on your soapbox. <laughs> I do it every week. <laughs> uh, Brother Chin's Zoo Abu is uh, – I don't know a lot about him. I'll allow him to introduce himself. But what I do know is that he's been a moderator of the Millions of Prisoners Human Rights Coalition here on our social media since 2017 at least. That means this brother has seen it all, <laughs> all the work strikes, the organizing mm-hmm. all of that. So welcome to Abolition today, uh, Brother Chin Wezu Abu. Yeah, I'm on? Yes, sir. I'm on? Yes, sir. You're on. Yes. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to um, give uh, homage to uh, Bomani Jihad Shakur, Leo Ekwam, uh, Nate Shiad, uh, Brother Sundown, and Justice Bonsu. This work cannot be done without them. It is the centering of those who are incarcerated, which is uh, very important. They are going to have to lead the struggle in terms of the eradication of the prison system. The streets, rights, laws, all the laws you said, 
come out of the chapter of your last black uh, 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 blog talk, which was Black Codes. This is a continuation of the black holes coming out of the antebellum. It is morphed into a new a new phenomenon. What the shutdown is about is that there is a cliche called out of sight, out of mind. When you're locked up like that and brutalized, you're out of sight, out of mind. So the shutdown is to bring attention, but also to put it front and center in terms of abolition. Oftentimes, uh, we are hop from issue to issue and forget about those who are locked up. Uh, the Attica Rebellion and other insurrections within California and other systems, whether it be Ohio or throughout the nation, are direct result of prisoners, those who are in cages, demanding their humanity. Um, what I can say about the work, they put in work. Uh, Shefu, uh, uh, Sheku, uh, and, uh, Brother Hop with the Northeast Ohio, I mean, with the Northeast Prisoner Coalition, and put in work. You know, it's, it is about everything is political. Okay. Uh, it is a way to degradation and genocide. Of a particular people, okay. Uh, the shoe unit, a way to control those who are uh, standing on the front lines within these uh, dungeons. The uh, uh, three strikes laws, the gang injunctions, and what happens. The uh, 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 mandatory sentencing practices are a way to uh, alleviate a certain population from the service, okay? If you get my breath, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, it, it, I can't say it's worse in the South. I can't say it's worse in the North or whatever. But if you're in there, you're going to catch hell. <laughs> if you have coronal morbidity, with the uh, COVID-19, it is a Petri dish. And so if it is a Petri dish, COVID-19 inside of a prison or a homeless shelter, you're surely going to die. You know, they mm-hmm. call it like a slow death. If you got a heart condition, if you're obese, if you got diabetes, you're going to die. They call it the term they use is medical neglect. It's hard to prove. The judiciary and the Supreme Court is operating with qualified immunity up under, up under the state banner and absolute immunity uh, from uh, prosecution. It is very it, 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 it is very hard to receive justice when there can be a term, a legal term called harmless error. Mm-hmm. I think we do have some good people, like Paul, who was a um, jailhouse lawyer in uh, California, and others. But it, they don't mm-hmm. have the libraries, law libraries to do that. There are loopholes, but it's a tough road to hope. That's what I can tell you. If and I in the you- South, 
Okay. Go ahead. I, I had a couple questions that I did want to ask about um, the shutting down 2021 efforts. Uh, do you know how many cities were involved in that overall? Uh, I think it was it was regional. It was in various different areas. They set a goal to uh, have people do they sign what they felt needed. So whether it be in Atlanta or whether it be in California or whether it be in Michigan or whatever. So it's more or less like an autonomous thing. Ain't nobody standing over you like a vacuum. But if you feel some type of way, they gave you the baton to organize. They set a framework and an agenda or what have you. But as I said before, this is only one facet. It cannot be from my loved ones. It cannot be uh, from uh, from the people I... Uh, basically, if you're on the outside, you cope your spirit. It's the ones on the inside that's carrying the front in terms of organizing as we were at it. So we see at the end of the, at the, end of the day, when we really talk about a shutdown, it has to come from those inside. Uh, unfortunately, many will perish. You know, but it's also not about perishing. It's about dying on your knees or dying standing up. And it's also yeah. about your babies. If you got children, if you got cousins, uncles, or what have you, it's about them. So a lot of them may die, but the bottom line is they're going to have to stand up. And it's not for me to say how they do that. Understood. At the end of the day, huh? Understood. That was it. I I, I get it. Um, It's about centering it around the people on the inside and what they're facing and dealing with. And And overall, it's going to be have to be have to be them standing up for themselves to win this. We have to get right, out. But it's a freedom. scam. But uh, Max, I'm going to say this: it's a scam going on. If you know what the scam is, um, go ahead and explain it to me. Explain it to the all of us. The scam is that uh, that I gonna get some paper out the thing or give me a nonprofit out of it and whatnot and make like I'm doing the damn thing on the outside. Mm-hmm. And push them to the side, and the prisoners to the side. So we must bring that contradiction forward. You know that if you ain't if you ain't right, and we see it, go on about your business, because it's not about making money off off the pain and misery of those who are suffering. And mm-hmm. oftentimes. We got reentry. We got people doing policy work that's getting paid good money. I'm not a hater, but what I'm saying is the whole thing going to have to go back to those inside. And, and how it, it must be the voices of those inside. They can't, that, that's, that's, that, that's non-negotiable. And those who, try to, those who are trying to get some paper all off this issue, because you got a lot of people doing when you were talking about the 13th Amendment, they trying to get paid. And that's foul. Mm. i like to see what you think about it. Who's trying to get paid with the 13th Amendment? 
No, 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 not you. I'm just saying. No, I, I was saying. Other, who, in, yeah. Well, I'm just saying yeah. in general. In well, general. You know, hmm. I've been around this dirt now for a little short minute. <laughs> and let me tell you something, brother. It's been disappointing to see exactly what you're talking about. People more concerned mm-hmm. with their daily bread than with the freedom of their people. Um, and, yes, sir. You know, I, I yes, can sir. understand how... You know, like say for instance, you got a reentry program, right? And it needs funding for these people. And if you don't get the funding, all those people that you're helping are out on the streets, and their lives are destroyed. So desperation can kick in, and you start acting a fool. <laughs> I, I can understand that happens sometimes, but just trying to to undermine other organizations and groups doing good work because you want some money—that's a whole other story now. Right, right. But what I'm saying is that. The slavery issue, all that needs to be on the front and center of the prisoner. That's right. Okay. My job is to aid and abet that. Okay. And my job is to... Are you formally incarcerated as well? As a juvenile. Right. As a juvenile, I've been in seclusion room. In other rooms, I've been in, uh, uh, wrongfully charged with felonies. I've been uh, arrested numerous different times. But by the grace of God, I've been indicted by the grace of God. I have not been, uh, on, uh, as an adult, locked up for any long period of time. But I've been doing this. I started out back in the 90s. I went to the first Jericho. Up in 98, I was down there to get a chance to meet you when they had the thing three years ago down there in D.C. with Kalecki <laughs> and the rest of mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. That's, that's yeah. when I met you. And, yeah. and John Lil and all the rest of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the thing is, they tell you, uh, 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 there cannot be no cause. See, once we get on a personal level, then we can move. We, we can move. Without no distraction, you understand. A lot of people wasn't that get the bag, and wasn't that what we got going on the day. People were trying to secure a bag, and then that, and and, and and then they ride just for a minute, like you said. And I respect it and love it. I've been doing this for a long time. I ain't trying to get a bag and whatnot. I ain't trying to pay my mortgage on this thing. And what not? Did I move on to something else? Did they want that? Yeah, I can dig it, man. But you know, even in the face of all that, the agitation has been extremely successful. As I mentioned earlier in the program today, even Senator Schumer has been tweeting out and uh, emailing people in regards to the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery. And we're hearing from the Department of Justice. We're hearing from the Department of Corrections where they're in opposition to us. Same thing with police unions in opposition to us. They all know what's going on right now. So that agitation has really borne fruit. Um, When I started back in the day with this, there was hardly nobody talking about it, just some OGs that had always been talking about it. You know what I mean? Some OGs was around and right. been saying about it. But now... Because they say, you know why they weren't talking about it? And that's another thing. You know why they weren't talking about it? You know why they weren't talking about it? I'm here to learn. The reason why they weren't talking about it because they figured if you, uh, it ain't a glamorous thing. It wasn't a glamorous issue. 
you know, my thing is garments are not. You dealing with human you dealing with dehumanization and uh of a particular category. You dealing with terror and whatnot. And I wanna take the glamour piece out of it. You understand? Because I know in your soul and heart it ain't about you getting no bounty points for doing this part. Yeah, I ain't never thought of it like that. <laughs> yeah. You feel me? I do what's necessary. That's it. Right, right, right. And, 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 and the ones inside, I only can do so much. And what I mean by that is, I can't, because they, the next thing, you know, they be saying, you trying to run shit. <laughs> you know, because I've been in groups, I've been in other groups with, with Europeans and other things. And the same thing happened. That's why I be careful and cautious about what I do. And I'm and we're constantly reminded from Brother Sunrise and Justice, we ain't running nothing. Mm-hmm. The money, mm-hmm. man, tighten up, brother. Be, get on cold. Because a lot of us do this work, we ain't on cold. Right. If you ain't on code, you're a detriment to what the, your history and the work you're doing. Because it starts with the internal contradiction. Because what I mean by that is, if you ain't a righteous brother, people going to see through that. If you're trying to hog the limelight, people going to see through that. You're going to be known by your works. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're right. Definitely right. So, so and because and, and so we, we, must make, we must make it we we must make we must be we must make it clear that we are only a vessel and whatnot to uh uh instigating what needs to be done. Especially if you're on the outside. Because some things I ain't never seen and don't want to see. Some things I can't really speak on. Because I ain't, like I said, I wasn't like them as a dumb. A lot of people speak on things they ain't never experienced. You understand? You feel me? Yeah. You know? The same thing if you're talking about women. Okay, whatever. You know, I let them talk. I ain't gonna try to talk to you, but I understand that anonymity's thing, and it's dangerous because they kill you in that the correctional system, and they find out you organize that. They kill you, brother Tim Wazer. I'll beat you down. I'd like to, if I can, ask you one or two more questions about the shutdown. Come on, yeah, right on, brother. Um, before we get into our, our next segment. So one of the things I, I wouldn't know is, is it seen as a, a success right now? Um, and what would you call some of the moments that really stood out uh, and, and got some attention brought to these issues? Any of those you're familiar with? I think... Uh... I think uh, 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 
what uh where you at? You in the south, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, South Cac over here. Okay, look, 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 look. A lot of people back in the eighties and what now, we had to go to the library, had to do a decimal system, bro. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> okay. All this shit going on film. All this shit and a lot of people they got football and other shit they doing and other shit and video and whatnot. But it does have an effect. That's why in uh uh so called dictator countries they shut down the internet. Mhm. You know, the internet is not the end to a main it's just another tool to communicate it. Definitely, the government really don't want that. You know that, don't you? Um, I know all that this, all this Martin shit with these camera phones and all that. They don't want all that, man. Just think about it. It was in the '80s. I know a lot of shit that happened, but I was involved in the movement. But most of that shit came through word of mouth, through uh, newspapers or, or or radical newspapers or connections. Now all you do is gotta press a button if you if you if that's what you like. Well, I'd like to give you an example of that right now. <laughs> all we got to do is press a button, this button right here, click, and we got a brother who is actually on the plantation at this moment up in Angola. But yeah, I want to say this: when you had down there in South Carolina and all this that and other, New County jails hot mess. I want to say it's not only those who've been convicted. Those in pre-trial detention is getting jacked up, killed, strapped down. I've yep. seen it down there in South Carolina. I've seen we it down there in Texas, Florida, Alabama. I'm talking about in them county jails. They just had Can't a massacre here a couple years ago. Huh? Uh, they just had a massacre here a couple years ago in Lee Correction. Uh, I think it was 17 right. or 9 people were killed. Conditions right. are hard. So uh, I, I just want to put I want to put that on, I'll put that out there on the table. It's not them county jails is a hot mess. Cause you can get you can get hemmed up. If you ain't got no bond, you might die of COVID and may not, and, and, and or, or, or get or some other shit happen to you in a county jail and you ain't right. even been to court. They be done Sandra Bland at you. Right. right. It doesn't happen in Texas. It doesn't happen in other places. It doesn't happen up there in Cleveland. They raping women up there. I'm going to be real. They raping them. Did you know that? Yeah. we. we, we I'm saying right here in the county County jail, right now, they got three corrections officers under indictment for rape. For rape. Same thing in New Jersey. And same thing in Alabama. Uh, all across the country, they're doing what they did during chattel slavery and just taking advantage of these women who are locked up in cages. They're making them dance. And if you and, and, and if you and if you and if you got mental health challenges, they raping you. They're robbing you too. A lot of the drugs, right. a lot of the phones, a lot of the paraphernalia, all that comes in mostly from the personnel. Right. They're running shit, you know what I mean? Inside the prisons, like, uh, they drug lords, and they they work on right. prison guards or COs. But this is, a lot of people say, oh, that's going to, a lot of people say that just happened in the, in, in, when you get convicted. It happened in the county jails all day long. All day. Uh, Brother Chen Weizu, I have got to get towards our next 
segment. I really appreciate you coming. Okay, so I, I ain't going to hold you up, but I want you to say you. In conclusion, I want to say you. Stay strong. Be real. Stay real. Stay principled. And a shout out to all who's doing this work who in the trenches. Yes, sir. Salute, Thank brother. You. Thank you. Uh, you keep on doing what you do. Good work. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother Chimwezu Abu. Uh, please join us at Millions of Prisoners Human Rights Coalition if you're all about that work. Um, all right, we're going to get into our. We're going to thank you again, brother, for being here. Um, we want to get into our next clip. Uh, once more about this. This is one. Hang on, brother. You're going to be listening for the rest of the show if you ain't got much else to do. Enjoy it with us. Uh, we're going to play Nixon Praises Rockefeller for the Attica Massacre uh, with Jordan Lucas's Devil's Workshop intro loop. Uh, again, shout out to Brother Youssef for doing our Youssef Bexes this week. <laughs> and here's the next one. We'll be right back after this. Newly uncovered audio recordings reveal President Richard Nixon enthusiastically supported the violent operation when he spoke by telephone to New York Governor Rockefeller on the day of the raid. Rockefeller confides in the president that before the raid, he thought it was possible as many as 300 prisoners could be killed, but went ahead with the operation anyway. This tape was obtained by University of New Hampshire at Manchester historian Teresa Lynch. I have Governor Rockefeller for you, sir. There you are. Mr. President. I know you've had a hard day, but uh, I want you to know that I just backed you to the hilt. And I, I was sitting here talking to Bob Altman. I, I uh, didn't get your call because I've had a cabinet meeting, and then I had a meeting with business leaders right afterwards, and I've been oh, I just got out. But uh, the courage you showed and the judgment in not granting amnesty, it was right, and I don't care what the hell the papers or anybody else says. I don't care what they say. I think that you had to do it that way because if you would have granted amnesty in this case, it would have meant that you would have had prisons in an uproar all over this country. That's right. And Absolutely. you did the right thing. It's a tragedy that these poor fellows are shot, but uh, I just want you to know that's my view, and I pulled a troop around here to back that right to the hilt. Well, aren't you great, Mr. President? I, I only called you because I wanted to uh, alert you that we were going in. And right. When we went in, we couldn't tell whether all 39 hostages would be killed and maybe two or 300 prisoners. Tell me this. Is this a... Are these primarily blacks that you're doing? Oh, yes. There's, there was, the whole thing was led by the blacks. Are all the prisoners that were killed blacks? Uh, are there any I haven't got that report, but I have to, I would yeah. say, just offhand, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, we did it, though, only when they were in the process of murdering the guards or when they were attacking our people as they came in to get the guards. You had to do it. And otherwise, we were captured all the cell blocks and so forth without uh, shooting a shot. And no troopers uh, were wounded. One of them, well, one of them was in the leg. But uh, only one trooper was wounded. Good. That's right. Good. It really was Good. a beautiful operation. Well, I think the tapes illustrate how Nixon was willing to back Rockefeller publicly and within the White House. I obtained the tapes in 2004 from the National Archives Records Administration in Maryland. The tapes also demonstrate how Nixon and Rockefeller were willing to make assumptions. And more broadly, they show how they were willing to flex their muscles and be tough on crime. They're also a window into the intersection between politics and power.
Nixon and Rockefeller discussing how to manage the media coverage of Attica. In this clip, they mention Tom Wicker, the former political reporter columnist for the New York Times. What the hell is Tom Wicker doing in this thing? Well, you won't believe it. We had a, we had a committee of citizens invited by the prisoners, 32 of them. Tom Wicker was one. Uh, we had that Kunzler, that lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had uh, the head of the Mau Mau's. You know, a motley crowd. Yeah. And some good people, some legislators. And uh, Tom Wicker was so emotional in this thing that it was unbelievable. Which side? Oh, on their side. Always, always. I know. I know. See, I had at the end, they were putting the pressure yesterday on me all day to go up there. Because everything else had failed. And Did you go? Of course not. I wasn't close enough. But I had to talk to these guys, Wicker and all these people on the phone, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, look, I go up there, we tag you of amnesty. The next thing is, well, we'll let them go if you'll just come into the courtyard. Yeah. You know. Yeah. With, in front of all the men. Did Wicker, was he recommending amnesty? Oh, yes. Oh, God. That was Governor Rockefeller and President Nixon in this discussion that they were having about uh, Tom Wicker. Uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, in terms of when you discovered the tapes, uh, because it appears that Nixon tapes keep appearing. Uh, how, uh, where precisely uh, did you discover these tapes and no one had seen them before? Uh, and uh, also, could you talk about the 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 way that Attica changed uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, 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 Professor Lynch? How how um, how Attica changed Nelson Rockefeller, who had always been seen as a moderate. Republican. In fact, there was a a Rockefeller Republican uh, wing of the uh, of the party, and how this began to actually change him and and transform forever uh, his legacy. Well, I think it changed Rockefeller on yeah. the one hand, and to some it was a feather in his cap. Let me go to another clip. Um, the tapes revealing that Nixon believed Attica would serve as a deterrent. This, um, in this clip, Nixon speaks to John Ehrlichman, counsel and assistant to the president for domestic affairs. Nixon downplays the idea that the Black Panthers will launch reprisal attacks after Attica. Did you have some ideas that we ought to take some preventive actions in some of the federal prisons? Well, we've already alerted the uh, uh, prisons through the attorney general. Uh, and uh, so they're all on uh, kind of a standby basis. Well, I would think, John, that what happened in New York, rather than stimulating more, is likely to, uh, you know, have an effect that could be quite the opposite deterrent. Well, the, um, uh, the concern that Rockefeller had was that uh, Seal and some of the Black Panthers who had been up there came out and said to the press, if any harm comes to any of these prisoners, why, we're going to blow up other prisons around the country. I see. That's what he showed you this morning. Right. You know, so I passed that along to the Attorney General, who right. I turn alert to. They won't assist. I, I, I don't think they will. I may be wrong, but uh, I think Rockefeller had to do what he did. That was President Nixon speaking with John Haldeman. Um, Professor Teresa Lynch, your final comments on what you discovered in these tapes. Well, I think the tapes uh, resonate still with many Americans. They do fuse issues of race, class, and power. And I think they're an interesting window into the Nixon White House.
Abolition. Abolition. You just heard uh, the conversation between Richard Nixon and Governor Rockefeller on the Attica massacre. It was a clip from a a segment on uh, Democracy Now! It actually aired 10 years ago. That was on the 40-year anniversary and just showing uh, Nixon's stance towards you know, it, it showed some of his racist tropes that he was well known for. He, you know, just wanted confirmation that only blacks were killed and that this was just a black thing. You know, and that, you know, taking away from that this was a multiracial leadership action within the prison, to saying that everyone had a problem with the conditions and then, you know, how they wanted to control the press, the press's coverage. So, uh, Again, that was Nixon praising Rockefeller. Max? Um, I'm, I've got all kinds of emotions going through me right now. I'm really of course, pissed of course. and angry because not so much for me hearing it, but that just brings it out more that we don't, we don't seem to understand the circumstances that we're in collectively and what we're facing here. Um, this was the president of the United States, you know, telling this right. governor – be merciless, be brutal, because it's the blacks. I know it's the blacks. It's always the blacks. So be merciless, be cruel, be brutal, kill every single goddamn one of them. That's basically what he was saying. No amnesty. Right. And then when he found out that uh, Wicker was promoting amnesty, he was, oh, God, you letting them niggas get away with anything now. That's that's what I heard from the president. Right. <laughs> you know? This is the same guy who started this false-ass war on drugs that we still go by today. And it wasn't a, it was targeted specifically towards blacks, war protesters. But as I have explained before, when the war is over, you ain't a war protester no more, and we're still black. So it was only after, mainly after black people targeted them, and it's still doing it right now. And I don't know why we still use this war on drugs when we know that the roots of it was so goddamn evil. And the president is the only president in this country who had to resign in shame. He was so freaking corrupted. And we're carrying his legacies just like we carry Biden's three-strike legacies and, and all the other shit that they keep putting down on us. These are replies to our demands for freedom. This is how they treat us when we dare stand up and fight for ourselves. And that's why I accompanied the the track with Devil's Work by Jordan Lucas, because we're hearing how devils work. This is how they operate. This is how it's been going on for a very long time. Let's put it that way. They for a very long, long time. Mm-hmm. And talk about they scared about the Black Panthers' reprisals and that they might blow up all the prisons across the uh, country. You talking about the Black Panthers like they was the People's Republic of North Korea. It, it was not that type of a situation. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Get it out, man. Get uh, it out. I'm just saying, you know, we didn't have no military camps. We didn't have jets. And tanks and all of that. We had some people with old-fashioned rifles and shit. That's what we had. Some handguns. And 
a little bit of military training. And they were just willing to put their lives on the line. That's right, willing to put their lives on the line just to have freedom, autonomy, to get the knees and the feet of the police departments off their necks and off their backs. And and we keep fighting these same fights, and they keep denying they exist and killing us for daring to say these things exist. You Negroes are the problem. That's what Trump has been saying throughout his whole presidency, that the black people were the problem, uh, right? That the racism was us. We're the worst racists of all. How that's even possible, I don't know. But that's the doctrine that permeates the Republican Party right now, the Conservative Party right now. Even the black Republicans, like uh, what's his name, Larry Elder out there, where he feels like black people are the problem. They're the racists. They're the criminals. In one side of his face, he's talking about how uh, Governor Newsom let all of these people out prematurely from prison, and they're probably raping and robbing everybody in sight. And in other breath, he's talking about how there's too many homeless on the street, and Newsom has done nothing of that. Well, you talking about creating the largest homeless shelters in the state? Prisons, right? Right. <laughs> That's your answer to it. You're like, we shouldn't be letting these people out. Lock them up. Lock them up. No mercy. No amnesty. No, uh, give be, be merciless and cruel. Or just tear them apart. They deserve it. And it's a black man saying that. Man, I just want to run out of the studio door screaming. I, that's all I can stand. I can't take it anymore. Let's go ahead and get on these phone lines, man. I think we got five or one, four back, uh, brother. Call us Marvin. I'm going to go with the anonymous. What's up, brother Marvin? Yeah. You there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here or whatnot. I said, uh, like I said, your show be so informative. And, uh, you know, like, uh, like a, I just told us, brother, it's like a fight or whatnot. You won't get your chance to get in a match and uh, speak to the people or not. And uh, uh-huh. like I say, right now we're in Angola, and uh, we're definitely living mind you, Mr. Jim Crow. And uh, like I say, over the weekend uh, we was looking at uh, various uh, documentaries, uh, political commentary as it relates to uh, House Bill 40 reparations for them to actually come up with a committee to study racism. <laughs> You know, I say it just seems like it just gets uh, crazy every time you see any uh, uh, media as it relates to uh, slavery. So uh, they always want to divert the conversation. Right. Like I said before, the other clip they were talking about prison slavery in the seventies. It was going on in the forties. It was going on in the thirties. It's been going on. The whole slave system's been going on. We're just recently collectively waking up to, you know, that might actually be the problem. <laughs> you know, that's that's a new thing. Nobody's ever challenged this on a federal or state level in the way that we're doing right now, where we actually have changed constitutions and literally have federal amendments on the table right now where the whole country saying, yes, it's slavery, y'all. <laughs> the 13th Amendment says it right there. This is all new territory. And it gives us a whole new uh, way to fight this system now. Uh, We've taken the step up because accountability is now included. If you're committing crimes against humanity, if you're that type of a devil and demon profiting off death and destruction, you should be held accountable, not rewarded. Yeah, it makes him nervous. Did we lose him? Sound like, well, he, he got off real quick, like maybe... He was in a situation. Uh, for those that don't know, his brother's calling him from inside. So everything is a risk when you're doing that. Uh, sometimes 
a risk to your own life and safety. Uh, and the way these prisons roll, if you do something that you ain't supposed to be doing, you could end up with 20, 30 years on your books that didn't even get you a jury. Just somebody added to it. Right. I think we may have gotten him back. Yeah, uh, Lonzo, you back on with us? Yeah, I'm definitely back. Uh, but yeah, I was uh, I was speaking in reference to, uh, and I wanted to start off, you know, that uh, uh, we're still under Jim Crow, Louisiana non-unanimous uh, jury scheme, and uh, it's uh, Louisiana and Oregon. Those are the only two states that actually abide by this law. And uh, like I say, I, I'm perhaps in uh, Orleans Parish. Uh, we got Jason Williams who uh, is running on uh, transformative a platform, and he's created a civil rights division. He's going to review all of the brother cases uh, that come through that that's actually uh, 10 twos. But uh, one of the things that, that we need to highlight is the fact that commentary, political commentary, as they go to explain in slavery, we're in slavery right now. And the, the, one of the big dilemmas that we're dealing with in here, the reason why the Sheriff Association is fighting us so hard because they actually put bonds out on these brothers that's being housed in these parish jails. So if they give a blank uh, and say all 10 twos or whatnot, they won't be able to control the spigot, control the flow of people that's, uh, that be released. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times people speak of slavery as in past tense or whatnot. Right now, we're living monuments to Jim Crow in Louisiana. And uh, I just want to uh, see uh, what you brothers have to say that, that or whatnot. Did y'all have any thoughts that you wanted to share on that? Three million seven hundred. no, that's 37 million 500,000. Yeah, 37 million 500,000 dollars annually to release you guys. If they, that's the money they would lose. That's what cost estimate to keep 1,500 people in there annually, and that's money in their pockets, and that's why they're holding on to you, because these damn prisons have become nothing more than economic development programs at the cost of lives and freedoms, and they eat people, like literally eat people up and grind them up. It's a beast that has to be fed human flesh, and we do it every single day to the point where even the oppressed, become assistant to the oppressor. I mean, and, what uh, is a black uh, <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to chime in on it and uh, just be as simple as precise because uh, this is definitely a, a complicated system because it's meant that way. And uh, one of the things that was done in the 1898 Louisiana Constitutional Convention they specifically said that uh, that they're going to uh, violate or disenfranchise uh, uh, the Negro race uh, and just wipe them clean of out of society. And uh, a lot of people ask about what is reparation or not. Well, that's a form of stealing because if you disenfranchise these individuals of uh, any race of individual, the money that they're putting in tax dollars and things, just think about we'll just give them 1500 uh, ten twos are located. We'll give them that number or not. Let's think about two jurors or one jury. So that's the equivalent of uh, 4,000 or whatnot actually citizens that's taxpayers that pay money into those systems and they got disenfranchised or whatnot. So this is an element that, that I'm saying you go on mainstream media, you was able to get on 2020. I mean, uh, 60 minutes, I apologize, 60 minutes. Um, 
about a few weeks ago, and uh, we was able to speak about uh, um, the connection today to the convict leasing. And like I said, it came from a conservative, one of the most conservative uh, members of the Supreme Court, and it was actually ruled on um, Hitler's birthday, <laughs> 2020, April 2020. Uh, and uh, but the most uh, spectacular thing what I learned out today or not, it was actually ruled on the same day Harriet Tugman started the Underground Railroad. So uh, I guess she was just uh, her spirit that was waking or whatnot, and she's still fighting. Uh, that's a hell of a coincidence. Uh, did you know that, Asad? I know it now. <laughs> now that you said <laughs> April 20th. <it. laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so I, so, uh, I want to read something. I want to read something and then get your uh, your feedback on it. So an article was written back in January about Alabama prisoners face solitary violence for organizing boycott and work stoppage. It says an ongoing boycott and strike and out inside Alabama's prison system faced retaliation before it began. On December 31st, incarcerated people at Kilby Correctional Facility held a dorm meeting to discuss the boycott and strike. Witnesses told Shadowproof that prison officers with the last name Reese Landerman Smith beat multiple participants. A week later, an incarcerated person who goes by the name Swift Justice was thrown into a closeted-sized cell without lights, cleaning supplies, or a mattress at Kilby Correctional. He hasn't eaten since the Alabama Department of Corrections placed him in solitary confinement 19 days ago for his role in organizing the New Year's 30-day economic boycott and work strike with the Free Alabama Movement. Then it also goes on to say, another target of the strike, the state-run corrections industry, paid several hundred incarcerated people wages, 25 cents to 75 cents an hour, to construct furniture, clothing, janitorial supplies, barbecue grills, and more. And they interviewed uh, kinetic justice. He said, in Alabama, we have slavery. The only way it's going to stop is if the slave stops. The slave master ain't never going to stop because he benefits from it. So I wanted to uh, tap into your experience because we recall when COVID first hit and how people were actually forced by gunpoint to actually go out and work. And for those that aren't familiar, Angola Prison, it's actually called Louisiana State Prison, but many of it, it was actually a plantation. And when slavery or chattel slavery came to an end, it was converted to a prison. And this prison is the size of Manhattan, to, to give you a visual. You know, Max, my mom is on, and my stepfather is on. I call him the general. I served in the Marine Corps under general of the same name. But, uh, you know, just giving them and any new listeners to the program just some insight into yeah. how big uh, Angola is and what goes on well, there. So, Alonzo, I'd like to get your feedback on some of the things that – that you've seen over the time you've been there when it comes to the forced labor and the violence and retaliation against any of those who try to organize and especially stop the money flow? Well, uh, like I said, man, I don't think we have a, a, enough time on the show to cover everything, but I do have some highlights that I would like to uh, uh, burn out or not. 
And uh, one of them is a very unique case. It was uh, was a brother that actually uh, committed almost, uh, I would say, uh, committed suicide as going to work. Uh, because uh, you got to realize uh, uh, there was, a, I believe, yeah, a law review that I read from uh, Professor Armstrong, Assistant Professor Armstrong from uh, Loyola University on uh, the imposition of state uh, slave status. And uh, that's specifically what we're dealing here. Like, brothers don't have a, enough to buy soap. Like, shower shippers, like, if you don't have any money, you go in the shower shippers and shower area, you know, and we know what's on the shower area. I mean, our brothers, uh, that's the shower area. And the, the infrastructure is basically uh, torn down. Oh, and now you have all type of diseases and things of that nature runs rapidly through here. But as it relates to work hall or not, this is an engine for us picking cotton and uh, industrialized. No different than a slave plantation it was back then. It is right now. And uh, it's, it's labeled as uh, LSP, as last slave plantation, because uh, I don't believe that they have any uh, prisons that's open right now outside of Angola that was actually a slave plantation. And uh, like I said, I think that uh, with society gets so wrapped in view that, uh, that, this, that, that we're uh, ducked off from society. So uh, unless anybody uh, close or you have any type of influence or not, you can get murdered. Uh, uh, brothers uh, die pretty rapidly in here right now. Uh, we're losing, like, probably, I would say, uh, equivalent to, like, two brothers every month that's uh, actually dying. And uh, Armstrong also uh, published a report, and I will also send it to you, and I'll get one of my affiliates to send it to you, that they're actually hiding bodies in uh, Louisiana Department of Correction. Like, you you may have a loved one that actually died, and you won't even know that your loved one is dead. So uh, this is something the federal government needs to get involved with because it's a fraud. It's a fraud with, with federal tax dollars, as it specifically speaks to the, um, the COVID-19 and whatnot. Uh, uh, like, you have a lot of brothers that uh, you have, like, five brothers that actually has it, and they're placing them in environments to spread it. You have correctional officers that, that, that literally – uh, they're so short of hand that they be in every dorm. Like, they could be on a dorm that's actually uh, quarantined, but they go in another dorm without a break period of time, and they're actually spreading. So uh, uh, last report that I heard that they actually get money for, uh, from the federal government uh, as in putting each dorm on quarantine. So uh, I believe that it's, it's a deliberately way for them to get more money by, by continually uh pulling brothers in and out or whatnot uh, with fake uh, test results or whatnot. And uh, you have brothers that show symptoms of it, sweat, diarrhea or whatnot, and they still put them back in environments where they're spreading the virus. So uh, that's one aspect of it. But uh, like I say, uh, right now in Angola, we're not, uh, the brothers, are they, they're just generally not working right now. Uh, they, uh, a lot of them just don't go to work. Uh, so that element has uh, creeped into this administration. So uh, they do very techniques of compromising, uh, separating brothers and not. And uh, one of the latest things, uh, they had a protest up here a few months ago. And uh, I think that was about a month ago or something where they had a fire up here. And uh, they have also have a lot of fires that actually happen uh, frequently. Oh, and I would say some brothers are frustrated because you got to realize whenever an individual is being treated uh, a certain way, they're going to act out. And a lot of brothers have mental health problems. So uh, yeah, a lot of them attend too. So a lot of them don't understand why they're not home, and uh, the brothers are home. And the United States Supreme Court have have confirmed that uh, non-unanimous 
uh, jury schemes were introduced it with a uh, discriminatory intent and uh, uh, have been perpetuated uh, through state law. So, uh, like I say, what we, what we want to do or whatnot, we have a uh, Senator uh, Carter or whatnot right now. He's calling on federal intervention with the state police office where he assassinated a uh, brother or whatnot. Are you familiar with that, uh, uh, Hassan? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Sorry. Yes. I said, are you familiar? Well, are you familiar with the uh, federal probe that they're seeking on a uh, uh, Louisiana state police officer of uh, assassinating a brother or whatnot? They literally, the brother was on his knees begging, "Don't kill him," or whatnot. This goes all the way up from the right. governor on You're down. You're talking about Ronald Green. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because we're we're familiar Ronald with Green. it, and right, we've mentioned it a few times it, on the it's program. Actually, one of the stories I wanted to get out tonight about what's happening with that case. Okay, so go yeah. ahead, Max. Uh, Lonzo, you know, you know, you can call in at any time. You know, we're coming, we're, we're, we're getting short on time for tonight's program. You know, we always appreciate you calling in and giving us updates of what's going on there and also in prisons around the country that you get information on. So definitely keep in contact with me during the week and, uh, and also on Sundays. All right, uh, definitely I will be in contact uh, before I leave. I would say that uh, right now we're looking for sponsorships of any civil rights organization uh, like uh, the Boots, our campaign seeking congressional intervention, uh, uh, meaning having congressional hearing on a Louisiana non-unanimous jury scheme as it relates to the jurors being discriminated in the retroactivity uh, of the brothers that are still uh, incarcerated or are still on the slave plantation. Thank you for that, brother. All right, or not. And uh, definitely, I'll leave you with I will uh, send the information where you can boost it on uh, on, on, on your website, uh, uh, Max. And uh, we're just asking anybody to just call in and they could go to Max if they uh, are willing to boost the campaign on their website. They could just be merely sharing a story for uh, probably like a week or whatnot because uh, that's one of the things we want to inform and engage uh, individual or not. We need a phone zap. Uh, seeking congressional intervention in our clothes. All right. Thank you, fam. Uh, Yusuf, how you want to do this? we got about 20 minutes, and we got to do that 10-minute clip that you have, and there's a few news articles that I really think people should know about, um, and I want to comment on well, what do you want to do first. So let's, let's uh, jump into the clip. We'll let the, All right. let the clip play, and then it's open mic for you after that. <laughs> well, all right. All right, so 16th Street, church bomb, and the killing of Virgil and John, followed by Lord Help Me or When You Cry by T.O.K. Be right back. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. Abolition. On September 15, 1963, the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama. Four young girls, Denise McNair, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Addie Mae Collins were killed. The attack was racially motivated by the Ku Klux Klan against the 16th Street Baptist Church, a very active African-American church during the Civil Rights Campaign in Birmingham, Alabama. The bombing was meant to disrupt black community activists who had been demonstrating for weeks for an end to segregation in the city, but it had the opposite effect. 
When the bomb went off that Sunday morning, it killed the four young girls who were on their way to a basement assembly hall for closing prayers. Twenty-two others were injured, many of them children that had been in the same group as the girls. The national public's anger and revulsion at the slaughter of children at a place of worship helped build support in the John Kennedy administration for civil rights legislation. The 16th Street Baptist Church had been a rallying point for civil rights activists throughout the spring and summer leading up to the bombing. The activists had finally reached an agreement with local authorities to begin integrating schools, which in turn outraged segregationists and triggered the attack. Four men who were members of the United Clans of America went to the church and planted 19 sticks of dynamite outside the basement behind the building. The explosion, which occurred around 10.20 that Sunday morning, destroyed the rear end of the building. The steps going outside were destroyed, as were all but one of the church's stained glass windows. Even the windows of the laundromat across the street were blown out, and many cars outside were damaged or destroyed. The public funeral for three of the girls attracted over 8,000 people, but not one state or local official attended. The Birmingham Post-Herald reported a month later that in the aftermath of the bombing, no one had been arrested for the incident itself, but 23 African Americans had been arrested for charging ranging from disorderly conduct to being drunk and loitering, mostly in the vicinity of the church. One black youth was even gunned down by police after he threw rocks at passing cars with white passengers. The four men responsible for the murders were not charged until years later. Thomas Blanton was convicted in 2001 and is spending the rest of his life in prison. Bobby Frank Cherry was convicted in 2002 and has died in prison. Robert Chambly was convicted in 1977 and died in prison in 1985. And the fourth, Herman Cash, died in the mid-1990s before charges could be brought against him. This tragic expression of racial hatred was meant to derail the civil rights movement it did not. Instead, those heinous killings sparked renewed energy among all Americans, blacks and whites, who were and are committed to building a better nation. When I initially heard about the bombing and, and there were four young girls killed, I was immediately enraged. Growing up in the civil rights era, uh, you understand uh, that this could happen at any time if you stand up for equality and fight for your rights. What I've never understood um, was the hatred that many people had for black Americans. I had an opportunity around 2003 to visit Birmingham on a business trip, and I walked into the doors of the 16th Street Baptist Church and actually broke down in tears to think about what happened there and how these four innocent girls were killed uh, for no reason whatsoever other than just pure hatred. But the tragedy from that day extended beyond the church. Ashley Knight reminds us of two boys who were also killed that day. Ashley? Well, Addie, Carol, Denise, and Cynthia, their names well known among the people of Birmingham. But Johnny and Virgil are two names maybe not everyone has heard. But the president of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute says they're just as deserving of our respect. September 15, 1963, a bomb goes off at 10.22 a.m., killing four and injuring 22 others. 
It was an act of gross domestic terrorism, but the violence didn't end there. Later that same day, unknown to many people, two young African-American boys were killed in separate incidents. 13-year-old Virgil Ware was riding on the handlebars of his brother's bike in the Sandusky community when he was struck by two bullets and collapsed on the ground. His killer, 16-year-old Larry Sims, served just six months in a juvenile detention center. Meanwhile, in North Birmingham, 16-year-old Johnny Robinson was shot in the back by a police officer. The officer alleged Robinson was throwing rocks at cars. It was just a tragic, tragic day in every sense of the word. And sadly, 56 years later, we still see now on an all too regular basis acts of domestic terrorism. Taylor wants to shed a light specifically on the young African-American men in our society. Young African-American males are still endangered in this country in terms of the number of random killings uh, of defenseless individuals. And if we're going to put a stop to it, she says, it requires the entire community rallying around the issue. It doesn't matter where, what neighborhood, what community, uh, because of the color of their skin, they become targets for other people's hate. Taylor believes this anniversary should be a reminder to not take our personal security for granted and at the same time understand how hate happens.
me get up, I watch the news. Then me here say last night I see you, then kill a youth. Then mama tell me say our church sister Jacqueline just lose our brother overseas you garden. When she tell me judge, I know it mash me up, now tell the lie. But you know some man not ugly, so you never see me cry. Every day and every night she still ask the father why our brother had to die. She care if I reply. When you Chairman Emeritus at Ferris State University Board of Trustees speaking on the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing that occurred on September 15, 1963, killing Denise McNair, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol Robertson, followed by the WBRC News 2019 interview with Andrea Taylor, President and CEO of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, on the murders of Virgil Ware and Johnny Taylor, which occurred on that same date, and that was followed by When You Cry, by T.O.K. Max? Well, that was pretty uh, powerful there. Again, <clears throat> reinforcing the circumstances that we find ourselves under. How dare you ask for civil rights? How dare you do something like, say, you want to integrate a school? How dare you want to use the same hospitals? You deserve to, to die. So for wanting to integrate schools, that was worth what? Uh, 19 sticks of dynamite at a church where children are at, and then all these dead babies' bodies. That's what it was worth. What it was, was worth to them, and, and to think that things have changed much since then is naive, because we're seeing it every day right now. These people out here going buck wild, and you know, you talk about Trump supporters and racism and races and white supremacists. Well, that's them doing it, and they're running your country too. All right. Uh, yeah, Yusuf, I want to get it, get out a few of these news articles real quick. Go ahead, brother. Did, you got you got open mic, man. <laughs> well, for a couple of minutes. Uh, we said we're going to mention September 11th, and we will. So never forget September 11th. September 11th, 1861, President Lincoln ordered John C. Fremont to rescind his order, bring some slaves in Missouri, and issue a new order conforming to the Confiscation Act passed by Congress. Lincoln was the, and did so over and over. A big reason prisoners are called state property is because of this. With respect to slaves, Lincoln said, the act authorized court proceedings to strip their owners of any claim to them, but did not clarify whether the slaves were free. As a result of this ambiguity, these slaves came under union lines as property in the care of the U.S. government. In response to this situation, General David Hunter, the Union Army military commander of Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida, issued General Order Number 11, freeing all slaves in areas under his command. Upon hearing of Hunter's action one week later, Lincoln immediately countermanded the order, 
thus returning the enslaved people to their former status as property in the care of the federal government. And that was September 11th, September 11th, 1861. Never forget it. All right. Another thing that I want to get in is uh, I, I did mention about the prosecutor who has been jailed for their misconduct involved in the Aubrey case. Uh, this comes out of WBRZ.com. It says Baton Rouge, the highest. Oh, sorry, I'm on the wrong news article here. Give me a second. Maybe I don't have it here. I thought I had it in my list of stuff. All right, let me get what? to the next one and then I'll well, come back. Yeah, while you're looking for it, I, just, I was just going to say, as uh, Nikki Giovanni would say, the great emancipator was a bigot. <laughs> the great emancipator was a bigot. All right, so, yeah, the, these are in regards to the Ronald Green incident, the state trooper who was there, who has hidden this a video of the killing of this man who was beaten to death by police. Uh, apparently, they're not going to do anything to him. So the news says the highest-ranking state trooper on the scene, the night Ronald Green died two years ago, received no discipline and no action was taken against him by Louisiana State Police Internal Affairs, despite reports that he lied about his body camera footage. Over the weekend, Lieutenant John Clary was seen by the side of L.A. Tech head football coach Skip Holtz, as they took on Mississippi State and Starkville. Many people are questioning how he could lie about body camera footage existing and then wind up in a high-profile gig on national television. Welcome to America, because that's exactly what just happened. This man who tried to cover up a murder by police that was known all the way up to the government department, all knew he was murdered by police and, uh, and everybody was lying. Nothing's going to happen to him. So... We got the wrong people doing the investigation over there. That's what I'm saying. The other right. thing is the hypocrisy knows no bounds of the United States, who are now um, stamping down on forced labor products that are made from, for instance, cotton from China. Now, remember, we've been telling you for years that there are men picking cotton in cotton fields and swear enslaved legally right now in the United States. And it ain't nobody stopping their shipments from going out. We told you about the Texas storm where they found out after the storm that they've lost 500, half a million dollars worth of cotton. First of all, what the hell are you doing with half a million dollars worth of cotton? Apparently in Texas, they were picking cotton too. So the news article says last month, Dozens of boxes of sneakers, men's dress shirts, blouses, and other clothing were un unloaded off a plane in Atlanta bound for U.S. customers, but the shipment never made it out the port. Although many of the goods listed Vietnam as their country of origin, customs and border protection inspectors detained the goods because of reasonable suspicion that they were actually made with cotton harvested by forced labor in China's Qingchang region, with more than one million Uyghurs are believed to be held in camps. Oh, man, and we got 2.4 million prisoners, not to count in the jail. Again, the hypocrisy, right. man. Just mm -hmm. a year ago, the goods might have sailed through customs. Now, however, customs officials are detaining hundreds of millions of dollars of goods suspected of being made for forced labor. Many of them products Americans consume and use every day, from clothes to palm oil, tomatoes, rubber gloves, and even hair extensions. Already it's clear that Chinese cotton has become the main target of the new enforcement push. 75% of the nearly 1,000 import shipments intercepted so far this fiscal year 
were suspected of containing cotton from Jiangyang, which produces 20% of the world's supply. The U.S. has had the legal authority to detain goods that suspected were produced through forced labor since 1930, but for 85 years, it was almost impossible for officials to apply that power because of a trade law loophole. Officials issued orders barring goods only twice in the 1950s and 30 times in the 90s, many against Chinese imports made with prison labor. Like I said, man, there's a list of companies, at least 4,000 strong, using prison labor right here, right now. Forced prison labor. Ask the California firemen about the forced prison labor. When they're being told now they can't even go home when their uh, sentence is up because they're needed to fight fires at $2 a day. So, yeah, that was the other thing right there. Um, we look at this time. Okay, I'll get this one in real quick. You good. You Minneapolis, good. Minneapolis is telling their police to no longer uh, issue tickets or stop people for minor, minor traffic stops. So an air freshener dangling on a rearview mirror, driving with expired tabs, will no longer be reasons for the Minneapolis Police Department to stop motorists. That's from Mayor Jacob Frey. And it was announced Friday. And additionally, the city's attorney's office will no longer pursue tickets against motorists cited for driving on expired licenses. If the sole reason for the suspension was a failure to pay fines and fees and not egregious driving behavior or criminal activity. Man, they're admitting to committing a crime right there. That The sole reason was a failure to pay fines and fees. Again, an Eighth Amendment violation. City attorney Jim Waiter and his deputy in the criminal division, Mary Ellen Heng, told the Washington Post in a statement Friday that the changes will help to address racial inequities in traffic stops while not compromising public safety. Well, I did a little research, and it seems that what's going to happen is they're going to shuffle the pieces around. So they're not going to give you these little tickets and stop you for this reason, but they're going to amp up on speeders. Uh, and so moving violations are going to increase three, four, five hundred percent. But those types of violations are not going to follow through on. So it's just moving things from one place to another. It sounds yeah. good, but if you're just going to amp up the other areas, then basically you're just saying, how do we make more money while seeming like we're trying to do people a favor? All right. That's, so, that's, that's the way they've been doing it for a long time. Let's say we ended time. slavery, but then let's create, you know, Jim Crow laws, the prison industrial complex, and let's keep it going through a loophole in the 13th Amendment. We've been there, done that. So we know Every their time. game by now. Um, our brother Go on, Sean Matt, got time. Brother Sean Darlin sent me an article a couple of days ago that I've been reading through, and it just struck me as deja vu. Because that's kind of what you've been hearing this whole show tonight. Like, look at history repeating itself like a synonym. You know, the exactly. same crap smells differently. And this Thanks article. Thanks for cleaning that... it up. My mom's listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom. Uh, so the article is from Mother Jones, and it says today it's critical race theory. 200 years ago, it was abolitionist. 200 years ago, they were stopping us from talking. And here's the parts I want to read to you. Uh, they start out by explaining how in North Carolina there was a, fl- a fire. They didn't know who started this fire throughout the town, and they blamed b- black people and then just started rounding them up and uh, judging them without even having a trial. And then they go on to say months later a pamphlet named The Appeal 
David Walker's polemic against slavery emerged in the South. My object is, if possible, Walker, a free black man, wrote, to awaken in the breast of my afflicted, to awaken in the breast of my afflicted, degraded, and slumbering brother, brethren, a spirit of inquiry and investigation respecting our miseries and wretchedness. Southern politicians viewed Walker's appeal and his reputation of their values as incendiary, a pyrotechnic of another kind. When Walker's treaties reached his hometown of Wilmington, North Carolina, Magistrate James McKee issued a warning to Governor John Owen saying, the dissemination of Walker's pamphlet proves beyond a doubt that a systemic attempt is making by some reckless persons at the North to sow sedition among the slaves of the South, and that this pamphlet is intended and well calculated to prepare the minds of the slave population for any measure, however desperate, that they may propose for accomplishing their emancipation, unless some measures are taken to counteract this design in time, I fear the consequences may be serious to the extreme. North Carolina, two laws aimed at stemming slave rebellions by repressing the spread of abolitionist literature. An act to prevent the circulation of seditious publications made it a felony to import and distribute any written or printed pamphlet or paper, the evident tendency whereof would be to excite insurrection, conspiracy, or resistance. A second law banning the teaching of slaves to read and write saying it has a tendency to excite dissatisfaction in their minds and to produce insurrection and rebellion to the manifest injury of the citizens of this state. Walker's appeal hmm. also led to Georgia's December 1829 anti-literacy law, which made circulating insurrectionary texts punishable by death. Virginia, Missouri, and other, others followed. As the Missouri State Archive website puts it, the bans were deemed necessary because an edu- uneducated black population made white citizens feel more secure against both abolitionists and slave uprisings. So yeah, as long as you're stupid, you're okay. Otherwise, those abolitionists will get you and you'll want to rise up against your masters, and we ain't having that. And, and here we are in 2020 going through the same damn thing. Right. Like what, what they're doing with our bills that we try to get through uh, Congress and the Senate with these gag rules that they're using where they don't even allow us to get a scheduled meeting on it or hearing on it. So, yeah, I squeezed that all that out. That was a great job there, Matt. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that was a great job that you got but, that all in right at the hard stop. Well, so. I did have one more that I want to get in, and we got, what is that clip that we're finishing it off with? How long is that? You, go you ahead. You, go minutes. ahead. You got a minute. Okay. Go ahead. You got All a right, minute. I got, I got a minute. Uh, CatholicCitizens.org has an article that says, Do White Christians Deserve Reparations? And this is what these damn fools said, Mr. Kevin Edward White, the uh, author. Economist Thomas Souls recalls that it was Adam Smith, author of The Wealth of Nations, who observed in 1776 that Western Europe was the only place in the world where slavery did not exist. Souls further notes that nowhere in the world was slavery a controversial issue prior to the 18th century. It wasn't controversial in Africa or Asia or the Middle East. They were accustomed to slavery. No, it was it was in Western Europe and the newly created United States where objections were first registered. 
Apparently, you never talked to no damn slaves about whether or not it was controversial, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they are asking for reparations since they feel like they got to pay reparations and saying, we'll get the money from the Muslims because the Muslims oppress the Catholics. Y'all, this is not Earth. This is some this is some other world we are. Earth is ghetto is a young girl yeah. saying, man. Earth is ghetto. Earth is ghetto. That's <laughs> all I got to say. Thank you to uh, Brother Chinwezu Abu for coming in and giving us the info. info. Uh, thanks, Brother Alonzo. And we'll see you next week with the Queen Mother of Benin. Yusuf? Yes, sir. I can't wait for that. So in closing, I just want to take the moment to thank our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. I am Will Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today, the page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms and a simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Join the movement at abolishslavery.us and intheexception.com to become a part of the solution. Getting into tonight's Bridging the Gap segment, you just heard Max talking about David Walker's appeal. You're going to hear a portion of it performed by Daryl DMC McDaniels, followed by Johnny Cash's God's Going to Cut You Down with uh, the Pulp Fiction remix. remix. So we'll be back next Sunday, God willing, September 19th with the Queen Mother of Benin and another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Today. In 1829, David Walker, a son of a slave but born free in North Carolina, moved to Boston. The next year, he published a pamphlet, Walker's Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World, which became widely read and infuriated Southern slaveholders. The state of Georgia offered a reward of $10,000 to anyone who would deliver Walker alive and $1,000 to anyone who would kill him. Here is an excerpt. I asked the candid and unprejudiced of the whole world to search the pages of historians diligently and see if anyone ever treated a set of human beings as the white Christians of America do us, the blacks. I also asked the attention of the world of mankind to the declaration of these very American people of the United States. A declaration made July 4th, 1776. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, Governments are instituted among men, deriving that they're just powers from the consent of the government, that whenever any form of the government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. See your declaration, Americans? Do you understand your own language? Hear your language proclaimed to the world July 4, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Compare your own language above 
extracted from your declaration of independence with your cruelties and murders inflicted by your cruel and unmerciful fathers in yourselves, on our fathers, and on us, men who have never given your fathers or you the least provocation. Now, I ask you candidly, was your sufferings under Great Britain one hundredth part as cruel and tyrannical as you have rendered ours under you? Some of the whites are ignorant enough to tell us that we ought to be submissive to them, that they may keep their feet on our throats. And if we do not submit to be beaten to death by them, we are bad creatures and of course must be damned, etc. If any man wishes to hear this doctrine openly preached to us by the American preachers, let him go into the southern and western sections of this country. I do not speak from hearsay. What I have written is what I have seen and heard myself. The Americans may be vigilant as they please, but they cannot be vigilant enough for the Lord. Neither can they hide themselves where he will not find them and bring them out. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Well you may throw you a rock Hide your hand Working in the dark against your fellow man But as sure as God made black and white What's done in the dark will be brought to the light You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Ezekiel 25, 17 The path of the righteous man is the same 
on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brother. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Abolition. 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 Abolition.